Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and I am delighted to bring back a former guest and former host of show that we were guests on, uh, Mike Emmel, who hosts Cinemust. Mike, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you, Adam? I'm I'm good. I'm good. We were talking a little bit before we were recording. We we are you know we're we're doing the the busy parent thing, so it's nice to kind of take a step back and chill and sit down and talk about uh, a, a rollicking film that is The Great Escape. Um, which again was was chosen um, because this was one of Ian's favorite films. Now, before we launch into kind of the normal thing, uh, I, I re-listened. So, so Mike was a guest on our Bad Day at Black Rock episode, and I I re-listened to that episode earlier this week. And when we got to the part of the show where we talk about what else the director has in the book, I mentioned The Great Escape, which I knew Ian liked before this moment, but Ian said. And I quote that the great escape is a top 10 film of all time. And that that was a hill that he would die on. And you know, he, he stuck to his guns. He gave me, he gave me a lot of crap for not having seen this movie. Um, and, and so, so now it's, it's become a part of this, um, this tribute series that we are doing to him. Um, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to just pass the baton to you for a second. Um, I'd, I'd love it. At first, you could just want to tell people a little bit about Cinemus if they don't know it already, because we f- we don't follow similar formats, but we have similar inspiration for our podcasts. Yeah, and we're even not that different. Um, like you guys at Cinemus, we are also discussing films found in the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die book. Um, one of the differences is I pull from a list of every movie that's ever been in there, and I know you guys just work off of the strict 1001 of the most current edition Um, But we, I mean, we do the same thing. We talk about the movies. We discuss are are these really must-see movies. And by the end of the show, we turn it over to the audience to make that final decision. Is the movie actually essential cinema? Or is it just really good? You recommend it to a lot of people? Or is it really, really overrated? So um, you can find the show anywhere you're listening to podcasts. And to cast your vote in those polls to decide if the movies we're talking week to week are essential, um, just follow us on any social media platform you prefer. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of us, you can just search for Cinemus. And every Friday after we've got an episode out, that's where you cast your votes. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'm a little hazy on my release dates right now, but you're either going to be hearing about Jezebel or Touch of Evil is the, the newest show we've got up for potential must-see status. So if anybody wants to pop on over to our uh, social media pages at cinemas and cast their vote on those movies i'd love to have everyone's opinions yeah jezebel is a film that i know of and obviously and we have a touch of evil is uh, an episode that we did Mm -hmm. um which and like i mentioned uh, i mentioned last week when i was talking to kieran at best picture cast um uh Lawrence of Arabia was one that if we got to it would have been more because Ian really wanted to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Touch of Evil was one that we did because Ian was clamoring to get at it. Now, and I like Touch of Evil, but that was oh. one that he was like, we're doing Touch of Evil. I was like, <laughs> yes, why not? Let's do it. Um, it was hard to resist when he got enthusiastic about something. It's, I mean, it's why I called dibs on The Great Escape Show. It's for exactly that quote you gave from that bad day at Black Rock. As soon as he said that, I was like, I got to rewatch this movie and talk to this guy about this. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, so yes. Yeah, so, so 
Cinemust, go check it out. And then um, I'm just going to kind of pivot back to what you just said, you know, Ian and, and, you know, you kind of catching the drift of his, his passion for the film. Um, did, I didn't know if you wanted to just take a couple of moments. And um, again, it, you know, Ian and I got to meet a lot of people, obviously digitally uh, through, through uh, social media and through doing pods. But I think the way in which we were able to meet people like this is one of the, the benefits of social media. I feel like there are very few but this is one of them, getting to meet similar like-minded people who you want to have a conversation with. So uh, just, uh, yeah, just a few thoughts about Ian. Well, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd kind of like to share the story of like my first interaction with Ian. Because uh, yeah. I, feel, I feel it kind of sums up why why he was, I considered him such a great friend, even though we'd never met. So I I'd caught on to your guys' show really early because we followed similar you know we follow the 1001 movies book so you guys popped up on my radar quick and i'd catch you on the badlands episode and high plains drifter and you know almost right from the get-go i was a huge fan of the show and i i said well, i gotta do a crossover with these guys i'd love to talk movies with these guys if they if they'll go for it but the the thing was is, is back in those days and not knowing you guys i i felt great coming to you i was like oh, i'd love to talk to adam i think we'd get along great i was terrified <laughs> to talk to Ian because he I mean just those early shows I mean of what we're saying he he had just such a passion and he he could go very positive when he loved something but man when he did not like something or if it even just didn't do it for him like there was there wasn't a lot of middle ground it seemed like it was fire and brimstone and he didn't give a crap what you thought so we we reached out we hooked up and you guys can you know, we, you came on to talk Pulp Fiction and Memento and I had Ian set up to come talk about a British horror double feature with Don't Look Now and The Wicker Man, and I like the whole week leading up to that I was just like terrified I was gonna say something <laughs> stupid that was just gonna set him off and he was gonna hate my guts and I'd burn you know half of this bridge between our shows, um, and I mean as soon as we picked up that call and started talking I mean all that went straight out the window. I've, I've rarely like connected with somebody so instantaneously. He was so funny and genuine and just real. And we, you know, that's a long episode for us. I think that episode pushes over two hours or at least close to it. Yeah. But yeah. For as much time as we spent on Mike, we spent an e almost an equal amount of time just shooting the breeze before we even hit record on that. So if, if anybody goes back and listens to that show, know that that's probably like, half of the conversation that was had that day because he and I would just go back and forth and and then you know after that like we just hit it off and like you you've said one of the blessings of, of doing this and podcasting is I've I've met tons of people like yourself who I consider very good friends even though I've never met them and Ian was, was really one of my best podcasting friends and I loved messaging him about stuff and I even loved pushing his buttons about things we we had it's never seen the light of day, but we had this inflammatory debate between Close Encounters of Third Kind and E.T. We were always pushing each other's buttons about that. Um, so, yeah, just I, just one of the most genuine people. And, and like I said, I was always just raring whenever a movie was new to me or I revisited. I, Ian was always one of the people I wanted to get on Twitter and DM and say, like, hey, what do you think of this? And you know, whether, whether it was good, whether it was bad, it was going to be fun. I knew I was going to be talking with a good friend, and um, I'm very honored to have been able to record uh, the Bad Day at Blackrock show with you guys. I'm honored Ian came on for that, 
uh, British horror double feature, Annie came on again to talk Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and those yep. those interactions, I I'm glad they're archived. I'm glad I have them to to go back to and, and listen to my friend. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I obviously I share all those sentiments, and and it's it's funny because you know as 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 much as we would get a get together once a week to do the podcast you know, our, our wives became friendly once, once we all kind of hooked up again and we'd get together, you know, as often as we could. And it was fun. You would think, you would think as often as we talked about film, we wouldn't when we got together and still we would like me and Ian would like, we would sneak off and just just so we could talk about movies still (laughs) with like the thing that we do all the time anyway. Um, so I, I totally get you. I get you. And, um, uh, passion's a word that's thrown around a lot for like a hobby you're really invested in. Ian had a passion for movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if we ever, and he might've mentioned it a few times on the show, but he, he was doing the critic thing for a while uh, for a website called skewed and reviewed. He did it um, uh, for, I, I don't know, six months, almost a year maybe. Um, and this was wow. kind of right as we kind of reconnected. Cause we, when I went to grad school, we just kind of fell apart cause of distance mm-hmm. and stuff. But um. Yeah, so you know he, you know where my my focus gets split a lot between teaching and theater and film. You know his, I think his was more his hobby was more singularly focused, and mm-hmm. I and I do I I agree. I think it totally comes out uh, on the pod and just anytime you would interact with him. So um, again, you know it's the third one of these, and it's not it's all it will always be true. Ian, we love you, we miss you, and uh, we hope you're hearing this wherever you are. Um, so let's let's get to um, to recommends uh, uh, part of the show that we we created maybe the fourth episode in because we felt like we needed to add something else to it and it's become a staple of the show. So uh, Mike, as our guest, I would love to know what you are recommending this week. It it shares a, a narrative, a thematic link, um, and I mean on an episode coming on where I want to honor Ian, there's there's no better way for me to do that than to throw something out there that would have just pissed him off. <laughs> On so many levels. Um, my, my recommend this week is another POW kind of adventure comedy. It's a Billy Wilder movie. I love Billy Wilder. It's Stalag 17. And th- this would have just gotten Ian's goat on so many levels. One, because I know this particular movie he wasn't the biggest fan of. Um, I, I If I had to guess, I would say it's because he loves Great Escape so much and it would have to live in its shadow. Also, he did not like William Holden. And this is the movie that William Hol- William Holden won what is by his own admission, a makeup Oscar for best actor. Um, but it's, it's a POW movie. It's, it's set in Stalag 17 is the title. It's about this barracks who uh, continually try these escape attempts, but lately all of their subterfuge and escape plans, they, they keep getting uncovered by the commandant and it makes them believe that there is an informant in the barracks who's tipping the Germans off to all these things they're trying to do. And William Holden plays um, one of these sergeants who's kind of the lone wolf and he he doesn't have any of the idealism as the other guys. He's kind of just in it to wait out the war. And so he does it by you know running a lot of rackets and accumulating the wealth you can have in a place like that to yeah. you know bribe the guards and live comfortably. And everybody hates him for it. And suspicion is cast on him. Is he the the, stoo- the stoolie? Um, and and you know I I still like it. It's it's not as great as it once was. I was introduced to it in high school in a, in a filmmaking class. I loved it then. It, it's not as great now. I it plays. It paints with some very broad strokes, comedically speaking, especially through this this pair 
Um, one of them who, who is just called Animal because he's just big hulking guy, and you know they they do a lot of like real slapsticky like over the top comedy. But I I still like it, and I I you know Ian didn't like William Holden, I loved William Holden, and one one of the you know unrealized dreams that makes me sad is I. I have you. You don't know this, Adam. I have a checklist for like consistent hosts on Cinemus that I'm always like, I want someday. I want to talk about this with this person, and sometimes it's because it's an area of expertise, and sometimes it's just to piss them off. I always wanted to talk about a William Holden movie. It didn't really matter to me, but I, I wanted Ian to come on and have to talk about William Holden for an hour with me. Um, so yeah, Stalag 17. I think it's a fine movie. I'll I'll throw this one up for you, Ian. I, it's not as good a movie as The Great Escape. <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean you said it and uh and again and that was the thing uh and and there, and i will mention this a, a handful of times when we get into the meat of the episode but you know ian and i knew each other for so long that we knew how to razz each other you know we knew how to do it where like n- no harm intended at all like yeah. we're just doing it because we go way back and um yeah the holden thing like like in between our Billy Wilder movies that we did going from um, Sunset Boulevard to the apartment, man, he came back just, just so not a Holden fan. And it, it made me laugh. Um, I still haven't seen it. I, although uh, as I just, as I talked about last week in our Lawrence of Arabia episode, um, you know, I think he's, I think Holden is fine in, um, in bridge on the river Kwai. Cause that was a, yeah. a, a movie that I had watched kind of to get in the lean world. Um, but he, he he Ian was so against it. I still like. I'm I'm hesitant to watch it. I just feel like I'm just not gonna like it because he was <laughs> he just hated it so much. Um, but I think it's a great recommend. Uh, not just because of the world that it uh, it it encompasses in, in its relation to the Great Escape, but you're absolutely right. What a perfect pick. A little a little nudge towards him, and and I think he would have totally. I think he would have dug it in the absolute right way. Yeah. Um. My recommend uh, is not anywhere close to this world. Uh, I mean, not even in its in its themes, in its storytelling, in its year that it was released, or or even the fact that it's not a live action movie. Um, and and this is a movie that has been on my radar for a long time, and I finally watched it the other night, and it actually it's really profound in its, its own weird way. So I don't know if you're familiar with the animation of Don Hertzfeld, uh, but. I watched a movie of his called It's Such a Beautiful Day. Um, before I get to um, uh, what it's about, Don Hertzfeld, uh, is this, he's this obscure, absurd cartoonist. Um, if you go on YouTube, he has this thing, I think it's called Rejected, and it's these series of short, weird animations, and they don't really make any sense. There's, there's, there's a, there, at one point, there's a giant banana with legs that's holding a spoon, and a bowl, and the spoon is as big as he is, and he goes, "My spoon is too big," and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but like the 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 comedy is so random and it's so inane. But eventually, you get that it's this is what he's going for, and it's kind of brilliant. So, it's such a beautiful day is about this guy, this normal guy. Uh, again, this is like stick figure cartoons, and he basically finds out. I think that he has dementia or Alzheimer's. It's never he's never it's never said, but he has a disease, and. As he as the movie goes through, he he starts to sort of go through his own mortality and his memories and and what's going to happen when he passes away, and it's weird and it's also very funny and very biting and very what am I watching at times? But 
at the end of it, it's like an hour and 12 minutes, but you get to the end of it and it, it feels like you've kind of experienced something in this way where it's not totally spelled out. And the randomness of the lines feels like the randomness of life sometimes. And, and, and what, and what this, what this stick figured animated character is going through. Um, there's this really, really kind of poignant moment where he goes to leave his house because he thinks he's getting better. And the, the action keeps repeating itself because he walks around his building thinking that he's going somewhere. And each time he gets to the front of it, he doesn't realize he's did what he need to do. So he keeps making these it's, it's like, and, but like the first part is so funny and then it gets really touching. And I don't know. I, I definitely have been in a, a mood lately where if I'm watching something of my own free will and not, not for a podcast, I picked like mindless, like just God awful schlock because it's just fun to not have to think that much. Or I've mm-hmm. kind of leaned into the poignancy of just kind of where I've been headspace wise lately. And this one, this one pushed me to the, to like to the, to the peak without having me tip over emotionally. I thought this was a, gr- it was a great movie. It's not too long. It's hard to find. I think you have to get it through Vimeo because Don Hertzfeld is not an on the radar kind of guy. He definitely is not. He's mm-hmm. like definitely anti-capitalistic and his stuff is, is is weird but if you can find it if you can find this movie i i highly recommend it's such a beautiful day i'm totally and i th- i think surreal obscure animation like that is always really really interesting to watch so if i can dig it up i'm in yeah yeah it's 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 weird but it's i yeah i, re- I recommend it i recommend it um so there we go uh, a weird obscure pick from me which also seems like something I would do and a nice ribbing of Ian pick. I, I love it. I, I think it's that's, that's, that's choice. That's a great pick. Um, so here we go. We are to the great escape. Um, this is from 1963 uh, directed by John Sturgis, uh, who has two other films in the book. As we've mentioned, we discussed bad day at black rock before with you, Mike um, and his, his other film in the book is gunfight at the okay corral. Now I, I don't, know if i know this or knew this prior to a while ago but you seem to be a a fan of westerns just a smidge yeah they're my favorite genre okay and i and 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 i because i know you had stuff on twitter and uh one of your more recent episodes well maybe not anymore but um you had an episode on the oxbow incident which you know gave me a movie that i owned and hadn't seen and that was a good prompt to get me to watch it um so i i i watched this yesterday uh, I'm curious to know just quick gunfight at the OK Corral thoughts. So I kind of have to go off residual memory. It's been a good 10 years since I've seen it. I guess for the purposes of looking at it from the book standpoint, I don't know that I'm totally down with it. And almost solely because my darling Clementine is also in the book. And if you're going to go with the OK Corral movie, I think you have to go with my darling Clementine. Um, gunfight at the OK Corral is is good like as i remember i'm i i think that the thing is like i feel it gets overshadowed because that is such a popular event to uh dramatize in westerns i mean tombstone did it and most of the other like tombstone and my darling clementine i would probably recommend over it and objectively speaking it's probably a better movie than tombstone but you just can't resist val kilmer as doc holiday like yeah you just gotta go for it um I, it'd be an interesting one to revisit and do a deep dive on, but that was kind of always one I looked at and said, like, I'd be okay kicking that one out for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, it's funny because it's, it, I just watched it yesterday. So, I mean, yeah, I think 
Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas are, are great in it. Um, yeah. Uh, I also, it's so hard because I have the, the gunfight at the OK Corral. <laughs> yeah. it, and I love that the guy sings exactly what's going on. It, it's, it, it made me audibly laugh because I thought it was like, perfect. Yes, I need somebody singing over the long horse rides. I, that's what I need. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, my short response is that it was fine. But I also think that if we want to have another John Sturgis Western in there, can't we yeah. just put in the Magnificent Seven? Yeah. And and you run into the same problem because Seven Samurai is already in there. And if you're gonna if you're gonna pick, I mean, obviously. But I that's exactly what I was just about to say was yeah I, yeah. If you're gonna do one, like you gotta. But but I wonder if maybe that's not the route they went because if you're gonna have like a star-studded John Sturge's joint to put in the book, like well, we've got Great Escape, so maybe sure. let's try to get like maybe a lesser-known what what they maybe see as underrated movie in there and. It's hard for me to say if it's underrated just because, like you said, I, I think it's a, a decent, good movie, but it's nothing spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Hard hard to say, but uh, but yeah, so so um, there you go. Quick, so just some quick gun, gunfight at the OK Corral slash Magnificent Seven thoughts there for you. Um, so uh, this was written by uh, James. Well, so the credited writers are James Clavel and W.R. Burnett. Although um, it was really, I, I did watch one of the bonus features on the Criterion, which again, uh, I haven't done this in a while, but Criterion, lovely, lovely, great escape uh, rendition. Oh, yeah, ah, there it is. Yeah, Mike's I got, got it, it too. Lovely. Um, uh, I purchased I re- at Ian's oh. behest, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Another. exactly. I had, I totally, I had to blind buy it. Um, six writers, eleven versions of the script. And an unhappy Steve McQueen. Um, uh, it, it just uh, so much, so much to go to go on the the screenplay alone. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get to the Steve McQueen part of it yet because I, I again I was really interested by that. But yeah, I mean, I, six six writers, eleven versions of the script. That is that's bananas. And and I like I don't I don't like getting small line changes, you know. But like six ver- or 11 versions of the script that's just that's a lot i i, I and I, and you're on location you're filming a long movie mm, yeah that's a lot that's a lot kudos kudos to everybody on board for for just plowing through doing it i know and i mean like like you said some writers i i, I didn't get to watch any of the special features but i did listen to both of the commentaries and and they were talking a lot about that and it's like oh this, you know this guy came up with the baseball thing and that's like his major contribution and I was thinking that, okay, like how kind of great that you contributed one of the most iconic parts of the movie, but also how disheartening that in this three-hour movie with all these other collaborators, like that was that was your big contribution. Yeah, I know. I, I, maybe it's one of those like I I I know in my heart I did what I did kind of things. Um, and I and and I again I feel like through our, through our interactions, I, you were, I'm just gonna take a step. You read a lot. Have you read this this book? I have not read the greatest. Okay, I I for, t- stab in the dark. Total, just yeah. figured we'd we'd see. Get um, on the list. All right, so then yeah, we got it. We'll talk about we'll talk about this cast really quick. I'll just kind of go through. Now there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people in this movie. If I, you know me, if I leave somebody out, please give them some love. But I think I'm gonna hit the big players and then some of the smaller ones too. So, uh, we have Steve McQueen as Virgil Hiltz, James Garner as Bob Hendley, Richard Attenborough as Bartlett, James Donald as uh, Captain Ramsey, Charles Bronson as Danny, Donald Pleasance as Colin Blythe, James Coburn as Lewis Sedgwick. Uh, okay, 
I'm going to go with, I'm just going to say it's Hans. Hans Mesmer as uh, Von Luger. He is the, the head of the, the camp. Uh, David McCallum as uh, Ashley Pitt. John Layton as Willie Dix. That's sort of the right-hand guy to, um, uh, to Charles, uh, Charles Bronson. Angus Lenny as Ives. Nigel Stock as Cavendish. And then the last one I wanted to call out because he gets he's in one of my favorite scenes was Robert Graff as Werner. Um, <laughs> I might have left somebody out. If you want to give some love, I'm, let, let's hear it. Oh, man, I don't know if you've left anybody out, but like you said, in a, in a cast this stacked, like, be very easy to lose track of somebody. Um, God, as, as far as love to give, one of, like, the big surprises, I, I hadn't seen this movie in probably, like, 15 years. It, it basically, it had been like I hadn't seen it before. There were yeah. very few things I remembered, and I was kind of blown away by how endearing I found a lot of these real bit performances. And I think Ives is kind of one of the big ones that stood out and made a big impact, especially considering like what that character is there to do dramatically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's some, I want to talk about a little later, but that might be spoiling like my unsung heroes and stuff. So maybe, maybe I'll just let my love kind of get woven through the, the regular old conversation. Sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, so moving on to accolades, this movie uh, had one Academy Award nomination for editing, and it, uh, it lost to How the West Was Won. First question regarding this one this one accolade. Have you seen How the West Was Won? Yes. It's ha- fine. I don't agree yep. with this win. <laughs> okay, cause, because um, I, I have a note later on where I go, I haven't seen How the West Was Won, but it should not have won Best Editing. Um, and I... I that was one thing I had. I think the editing that happens um, post breakout mm-hmm. is really good, mm-hmm. really good. And, and I, again, I'll save those those later thoughts too. Um, and just kind of an extension of the Academy Awards. I just I would like to list off the five films that were nominated for Best Picture this year. Um, oh yeah, the nominees were How the West Was Won. Haven't seen uh, America America, which I think is an Elliot Kazan film. Also haven't seen. Cleopatra, which as much as I want to for the sheer, um, like, <laughs> I hear just how bad it was, I don't want to devote almost four hours of my time to it. Have you seen Cleopatra? I have, and, and for the same reasons as you, it's like, maybe I want to watch The train wreck, but also, couldn't I spend my time more wisely? Yes. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so then these next two I watched this week, because so I watched uh, Lilies of the Field. Have you seen Lilies of the Field? No. I don't know why I thought this was going to be a different movie. Uh, it is. Uh, it's very lighthearted. It's very comedic. Um, I think it's Sidney Poitier is most charming. Um, I think he's very fun. It's. It's. I. I thought it was going to be a very serious movie. It is not. He. He's a guy on the road who ends up helping a bunch of German nuns build a chapel in Arizona, and it's. All right. It's like it's like a clashing of worlds, and he's he's a he's a funny nice guy, um, but the winner that year was a movie called Tom Jones. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Tom Jones? So so here's the thing, and I think listeners of Cinemas can track this because not very long ago I had um, Maggie Kellett and Ian Bailey from the Best Pictures podcast. The longstanding shame is they have told me for so long how I really need to see Tom Jones, and it is like the sleeper Best Picture winner of the 60s. It's so great. And to my shame, as of this recording, I still haven't watched it. That It's that parent life you're talking about. I just can't find the time to sit down. So tell me about it. This movie is... It is so fucking weird. I don't... Like, it's about Tom Jones, and 
he is this we oh god i I don't even want to say too much because it, it, it's like a farce. And as it mm-hmm. plays through, information comes out. So I, I don't want to say too much except for he, he, he's discovered in the bed of a nobleman and uh, it's not his kid and it was somebody else's. And so he's like, I'm going to take this kid as my own and bring him up. And um, he becomes the heir of this wealthy guy. But Tom Jones is kind of a, you know, he's kind of a scoundrel. He's kind of a hound dog. He's kind of, he drinks a lot and he hunts and he goes after girls. Um, but it's so tongue in cheek. It's so and like a lot of it gets played directly to camera. The editing is bananas. Uh, Hugh Griffith, who plays the Sheik in Ben Hur, is like a crazy rich guy who is the father of a girl that he likes. And and Hugh Griffith, if we thought he was going for it as the Sheik, dialed it even further for this role. I mean, he is just off the chain. Um. But it's it's also so crazy that it's kind of fascinating. Do you know what I mean? Like it is mm-hmm. like it's yeah. it's like it's like a train wreck, right? I don't want to look at it, but it's hard. I, I but I want to watch it. It's it was bananas. It was this weird movie. I I don't know where it would fall like in like a ranking of the best picture winners, but it is it's a sight to behold. I don't even know how else to say it. It was a weird, interesting movie. <laughs> now I'm even more. Int- I got. I really got to get to it. It's yeah. It's it's. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's tough, and and well, I'm sure we'll go through as we talk about this. But I like, I don't. I I actually think there's a lot of weird nominees this year, but I I don't know. You know, it's pre 1968, so yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then not too many like uh, accolades of the time. It was up for uh, Golden Globe for best drama at the time. It lost to a movie called The Cardinal. Uh, the National Board Review had it in the top ten that year, and it has a Writers Guild of America nomination. It is currently 141 on the imdb 250 between two very different films the wolf of wall street and judgment at nuremberg what what a what a three interesting different very long films there (laughs) back to back um it has a uh 94 percent critical and 95 percent audience score um we're to sort of the uh the critical section mike you mentioned you had uh somebody you wanted to read from so yeah, little little snippets, and I kind of picked this review just because there were things that this reviewer, whose name is Bob McCabe, writing for Empire Magazine, he kind of just had like a couple things that had popped in my mind when the movie was over, and then reading this, I was like, oh, somebody somebody gets it. So I guess um, Bob McCabe says there's something fundamentally British about The Great Escape. <laughs> Obviously, it's a largely British story in the first place, even though it was made by an American studio and featured a bundle of American actors, some equipped with uncertain accents. James Coburn's Aussie number, take a bow. It's kind of the, one of the first points that hit me. Um, kind, of, kind of skimming through his uh, review a little, I kind of wanted to point out that this section um, is kind of what I want to get to in my unsung hero section, but I'll kind of just give it now. Uh, he writes, it could be argued that given their leniency in embracing the production of a film that dealt with such recent history, the German characters were appropriately mellowed. But this worked in the film's favor. Ironically, for a film about the Allies' escape methodology, The Great Escape often finds its heart in the performance of Hans, or Hans Mesmer, the newly appointed Captain Co- Uh, Camp Commandant, Colonel von Luger. His comment to Flyer Hiltz that we are both grounded for the duration of the war, plus his reluctance to return the Heil Hitler salute to the SS, served to humanize a country that less than 20 years before had been pilloried for the actions of a rather short and deeply horrendous tyrant. No mean feat for a patriotic all-star action movie. Um, And I, I guess that's 
I know you guys have done this, so I guess I don't feel bad messing up your show format, but Hans Mesmer is my unsung hero. <laughs> sure. Um, for, for those reasons, I think that his character and his performance is something that kind of digs this movie out of the tongue-in-cheap, Hogan's Heroes-esque, you know, war picture and really, as he wrote, like humanizes... Um, kind of both sides. And I think that there was a lot of meat in those scenes. And I honestly wanted more of them. In, in a movie sure. that's almost three hours long, I was like, I'll, I'll watch eight more minutes if we can add some well, of this stuff. I'll, and I'm definitely going to talk. There's something I want to say about the length of the movie, too, um, uh, in a little bit. Uh, and so obviously, you know, if, if you follow the show, even even a little bit, you know, if, if I can find a review from the, the late, great Bosley Crowther, uh, I'm going to do it. It's interesting because... Um, I mentioned him last week in the Lawrence of Arabia episode and Bosley Crowther did not like Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and so it's going to be fun to, to read a, a chunk of this one. So uh, here we go. The boast is in that every detail in the new film, the great escape is the way it happened that every incident in this gaudy account of a massive breakout of Brit British and American flyers from a maximum security German prison camp in World War II was based on fact, as documented by Paul Brickhill in his 1950 book. That may be. I've no way of proving that a few of the wilder episodes in this overlong melodrama, which opened yesterday at the DeMille and Coronet, are so far beyond plausibility that they could not have happened any place. And since I've seen most of them in other pictures about cheeky prisoners of war, three or four in the past year, I must assume that they are derived from common lore. But nobody is going to con me, and not least the director John Sturgis, into believing that the spirit of defiance in any prisoner of war camp anywhere was an arrogant, romantic, and rovish boyish, ro wait, rover boyish as it is made to appear in this film. And nobody's going to induce me with shameless Hollywood cliffhanging tricks designed to stretch the tension until you holler and with a thumping Elmer Bernstein musical score to surrender my reason and my emotions to that sort of fictional fabricated here. I find it artificial from the outset. From the point where a string of trucks arrives in the new prison compound and disgorges a crowd of swaggering bucks, nondescript British and American fellows snarling rudely and pointedly cast casing the joint. And then he, he ends the review by saying, The Great Escape grinds out its tormenting story without a peek beneath the surface of any man, without a real sense of human involvement. It's strictly mechanical adventure with make-believe men. Oh man, Bosley Crowther, he is not he's not doing well for me lately between this and Lawrence of Arabia. Um and you know, and I don't disagree that, you know, I don't think any of the men necessarily get a deep dive, but I also don't again, I I don't think it's that kind of a movie. Um but we'll talk about that more when we when we get to it. Um So the last thing before we jump into kind of plot and thoughts would be um Hey Mike do you do you like lists? I love lists. And I do too. I love lamp. I've got one right here. This is my favorite lamp. I love this lamp right here. Mm. Um so uh and and especially cuz this this was Ian's bag for a long time. He was trying to find more um obscure sort of uh uh different kinds of lists, just avoiding the typical BFI AFI thing. So I found this list from a guy named Paul Gibran, who I think wrote for, a, I think, a website called Pop Matters. And this is from 2013. And this is a list of the best escape movies. Um, most of these I, I get and agree with. There's a few where I'm like, uh, I don't, this is just not right. So uh, number 10, we have The Poseidon Adventure, which I haven't <laughs> seen, but I know, yep, we're trying to get off this boat. 
Good cheesy fun. I love it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, number nine. I, I'm curious to, to gauge your reaction off of this. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> I'm a gigantic Ferris Bueller fan, and I haven't revisited it in, in a while, so I, I worry that maybe a lot of things about it haven't aged well. But I, for the sheer cheekiness of it, can really get behind that because it's not. It's just not just another prison movie. You know, this is a, a different time of prison, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm down for it. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, number eight was a movie that I liked, but Ian loved, and it was a recommend and a replacement once uh, when we on our audition episode. Number eight is Cube, which um, mm. is all about trying to escape. But uh, it's like, how can you? Have you seen Cube? Yeah, I, I guess I as an escape movie, yeah, it's really. I, I don't really particularly enjoy Cube just because of the forced like characterization and and melodrama. But as like an escape movie and concept wise, is is great. Sure. Um, Number seven is Papillon, which is another movie I know that Ian enjoyed. I, well, I haven't seen it, but um, yeah, me neither. Stephen Queen. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, number six. So I need help here because I don't. I don't. So number six is the Michael Mann directed Public Enemies, and is it just like is it is it Dillinger like escaping from the law? The whole. I, I guess yeah. Criminal I, I mean, on the Run. I mean, Public Enemies is not a great movie. And not even a great escape movie. Um, oh, see what I did there? Uh, but it's just not. Yeah, I don't know. That's the that was the one on this list more than any others where I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, so no, far I, that's I, the only one I'm not really digging. Yeah, I, and I, the, the next five, you're, I guarantee you're gonna be on board with. Uh, and right. I and I haven't I haven't seen two of them. Um, number five is Escape from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right there in the title. Number yep. four again in the title, Escape from New York. Haven't seen. Oh, Snake Plissken. What a yeah, that's a I good one. I, I I'm I'm trying to up my John Carpenter game. I, I, I haven't seen too many of his th- I've seen some of the biggies, but not all of them. So Yeah. I mean putting yourself in the headspace of knowing like the type of movie it aspires to be like like right with a Poseidon adventure, like just go in like you know what it is, like don't take it too seriously. It's it's great. You if you can buy into like the the concept that New York has become this prison island and like this suicide squad esque, like the president's yeah. plane is down and we get the only guy we can hire is this wanton crit. Like if you can get on board with it, like you're going to have a blast. It's a great movie. Nice. By the way, the suicide squad, I, I had a blast watching that. Still need to see it. I had a blast. Um, and then these next three, I, I, I'm, I'm on board. Number three, one of my favorite movies. It was a recommend on the show way early on the raid. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Escape movie. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, number two, the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know. How do you... Yeah, it's just a great movie. Um, and then number one, the reason why we're here, The Great Escape. Yeah. Um. So, but I don't... this And this isn't another list thing, but I want to bring this up um, because it kind of... It's it's in the vein of lists, but, it, but not really. Um, so, in one of the many conversations I had with Ian about this movie... He said that this was a once uh, once a year movie for him and that he would watch this uh, on Boxing Day, which I still don't really know what that is. But I do know that it's uh, typically celebrated the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. I found this thing in the research. It said in a 2006 poll in the UK regarding the family film that television viewers would most want to see on Christmas Day. The Great Escape came in third and was first among the choice of male viewers. And like, I got goosebumps when I read that because I was like, well, no shit. Look at that. Ian was, this was his, 
and I was like, that's perfect. That's just amazing that that all synced up. Um, so that was this. Sorry, that was also a component of that Bob McCabe review. Like I skipped over it, but he mentions like what's so British about it is that it's the holiday. It's the bank holiday. Like that. It's it beats Wizard of Oz and Sound of Music. Like that's so funny. That's so great. Um. So yeah, I so I just yeah just wanted to to quickly mention that and um yeah. So um in terms of the just the quick plot, I mean this here's the thing. Like I'm gonna get through this in like 25 seconds. There's a group of POWs essentially they're putting to quote the movie all the rotten eggs in one basket it's sort of like we're going to put all these these uh these these POWs who are known for escape attempts into one place so we can guard them more intently and uh their one goal as POWs is to break out and we see them kind of beat by beat detail by detail plan how they're going to do it everybody has their different roles um we get to a point where Steve McQueen on his own breaks out comes back doesn't get caught or gets caught, or however you want to think about that, and brings back information, and then a bulk of the men escape, and then we see how they handle their 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 pretty short time out in the real world. Um, I jumped over a lot, but in terms, there's like there's not really a lot of like, and this is not a negative against the script, but there's not a lot of plot. It's as simple as we're POWs, we need to get out of here. And here's what we do to get out. Um, but it's what they do to get out that makes it interesting. Um, so the the first thing I'd like to lead off this conversation with was um, I, I had two very different films that came to mind as I was watching this. And, and they're, they all came, they came out later after this. But um, so one movie that came to mind about halfway through when I realized just how lighthearted and rollicking the film was because I didn't like, so I'll say I've never seen this movie before and I hear POWs trying to escape. I think this is going to be a serious movie and it's not that it isn't serious, but like it is very fun. This is a fun movie. It's a blast. Exactly. And so one of, I had a similar thought of, of, um, I thought of life is beautiful, which is another Mm. movie about a very tough story but about somebody trying to make it lighthearted, not just for his son, but for us as an audience. So I thought of that. But the other comparison, and it's because of this rotten eggs in one basket thing that I couldn't help. Yeah. I couldn't. Did you get Con Air vibes? Oh, no. I thought, no, I did not get Con Air vibes, but that's pretty great. <laughs> you know, we're going to put all of these, all of these really bad people. On, on one plane ah i could I, I was like oh that's so great our our you know steve mcqueen is just nicholas cage you know yeah. that that's our there you go <laughs> um, he never had a bunny to put uh, back in the box he did not he did not <laughs> uh, he did have a, he did have his ball in his glove though that was oh yeah uh, that he was, was something town on that thing um okay so so mike we're talking about the great escape first thing that comes to mind um, God, epicness is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and, and I, I'd mentioned earlier, like I had seen the movie before, but so long ago that it was, it was just bits and pieces, wisps of memories. Like I remembered the ending and little, but, it, but to, to me, like half of it was like seeing it for the first time, but I knew, you know, going in, like, this is the big, this is the escape movie, you know, to speak to that list that you shared, like, this is the POW movie. It's the escape movie. And it's this huge cast and all-star cast. Um, and so I, I always think of it first in those terms of just like, what a gigantic undertaking production wise. I mean, even within the story that, you know, this is, 
the great escape because it's it's all the best guys it's it's the best smuggler it's the best tunnel diggers it's the best forgers it's you know and and i think that that is kind of something that really works for it structurally is like like you said it's such a simple setup but it's made all the more interesting that it's not just oh, a bunch of american gis with a with a you know gumption and know-how it's all like these are guys who are famous across the front for breaking out of everywhere and we're going to put them all together and see what happens. Yeah, I that you know, you say that brings up two thoughts. The first and I want I'll stick with um uh the the characters. You know, I I I love a good movie where everybody has a role or a nickname and when we can see that the specific details of something and you know, specifically the moment where um we see them move the stove and connect the pipe so that it keeps burning mm-hmm. and the, the the craftiness of how they can clip it out and get down there. Like the the creativeness of it and watching the details and watching all the specific things is what like it, it's what elevates it. It's not just yeah, it's not yeah. just people digging to get out. It's it's the the long, arduous process of 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 how they're doing what they're doing. Right, the patient professionalism. I mean, that aside from just like the the giddy defiance that's kind of set up, that was kind of the first thing I picked up on rewatching it. I was like, I think I love this movie. Was like, just how meticulous it's going to go through every stage. That it's like, okay, you want to have a movie about them digging a tunnel underground? Well, let's, you know, what about dirt disposal? How are you going to see down there? You, you know, you got to get air into there. I bet you've never thought of that. So we got to design a bellows, and I. I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like this movie is very often mislabeled in an attempt to garner enthusiasm for it. It is constantly touted like it's one of the best action movies of all time. The back of the Criterion box calls it one of the most exciting adventure tales ever told. And it's not that I disagree. It's not that I'm saying it's not exciting, but I think that that always kind of short sells it because I think they're trying to put it into this category of like it's a high octane you know, thriller and Steve McQueen's on a motorcycle and then you know you watch it and like the joy is not that it's like balls to the wall action it's like look at how professional these guys are and like how good they are at the, like that is the joy of it is just how they keep sneaking this stuff and how they keep coming up against problem after problem and solving it the, the movie I kind of went to linkwise was Apollo 13 which is another movie about like we're in it guys and we got limited resources but it doesn't help us to sit here and mope about it like Let's get to work and let's solve some problems. Yeah. yeah, that was as a first view. Um, I was I was instantly captivated by, like these people are still like basically on the truck and they're already casing it. They're already yeah. <laughs> planning the escape, and again, not not knowing what I was walking into, it already like I I remember I was I was you know I was sitting back. I had my my laptop my laptop on my lap and I'm I'm taking notes and we're not even that far in and I kind of sit up and I'm like, what, what am I watching? And I was already way more engaged. I thought it was going to be more, more passive, more dramatic. And it instantly wasn't, it instantly mm-hmm. gets you going, what are these guys doing? And that's, you know, I, I love the idea that every movie should be a mystery in that we should never know exactly what's going to happen next. Or, and we shouldn't always know what the characters are thinking. So in that opening 10 minutes and like people are looking at dirt, they're looking at fences, they're checking up the guard towers. It's like, Okay. All right. You're you you are already up to planning this great escape. Um, and but it's, when you, it's really sorry, just real quick. But I always like to speak to competent filmmaking. And you just said like so much of that 
is great showing not telling that I, I yes. think a lesser movie would have this that it opens with like a new squad being shipped in and so it'd be an exposition dump like oh you're new here huh sergeant well you know see that wire over there and make sure you don't cross that the jerry's will light you up and instead you know you just see steve mcqueen walk up to the wire and look at the tower and you're like you get what happens to anybody that walks on the other side of that yeah yeah um but you you also mentioned uh, its epicness, and I I'm coming off of a weird run where so last week I talked about um, Lawrence of Arabia, and in prepping for that I wanted to watch other lean films, so I also watched Bridge on the River Kwai and mm-hmm. Doctor Zhivago, and then yeah. I went on I went on Best Picture cast and I talked about Ben Hur, mm-hmm. so I've watched oh, man, all of these really you're in it. I know I know it's it's God it's been a long week um or a couple of weeks, but like I look at all of those movies. And they're all long. And there are, I easily think there are parts of all of those movies that you can cut. Um, with Dr. Shivago, I, I don't know why you made the movie in the first place. But, uh, um, amen. <laughs> but, but like, and even a movie as good as Lawrence of Arabia, I think there's, I, little, I mean, there are little things that you could, yeah. you could trim down or cut or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like, and Ian and I have frequently said about movies on the pod, like that was the longest hour and a half movie I've ever seen. And that like, it was a slog. This was the shortest, almost three hour movie I've ever seen. I, wow. it was over and I was like, no, oh, it's, it's actually, it's done now. And the movie's over. Like, seriously. Like I couldn't believe when it was over. I was like, oh man, that's it. Now it's done. Because for everything that you just said and what we've been talking about, I never once wavered. I was, I was always in it. And I know we talked about the, the number of screenwriters and versions of the script, but whatever they did, they left no stone unturned. Every, everything that was referenced early on came back. Um, you know, we, you, you, um, and the, the, and just the, the fun creative things, the way they sang over the hammering, the way that they signaled back and forth. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I just like, I thought it was such a smart script and my, my unsung heroes off screen are not the screenwriters, but I do think that for it being kind of ramshackle together as it was, I think the finished product, obviously it's there, it's there on the screen. And I think it may, I think it makes sense. I'm surprised. You know, I don't know what Bosley Crowther was expecting, but I, I think what we got was was really good. So I there, there's kind of an element of Crowther's review I can kind of get behind because his his biggest beef is like how lighthearted it is. And, and I think that what he was looking for was like kind of more of the somber, like, you know, let's not pretend like it was great in here. Let's not pretend. And, and I think one thing, if I'm going to give Stalag 17 a little credit, I think Stalag 17 kind of sells the hardships of being in a POW camp a little more in terms of, you know, ter- terrible living conditions and being starving and the cold and things like that. You know, you know, the great escape is so focused right from the get-go on the escape. There, There is not a period of getting climatized to just being in a POW camp because none of them are in it for that they're all like you said the second they're in there they're already like jumping off roofs into you know flatbeds with trees or they're trying like (laughs) that's that's the focus of the great escape and i I think that's where he was coming from is like you know in in a subject so serious that you know our real veterans experience i he probably felt it was a disservice that 
the whole thing was played as like, hey, you're in the club too, and isn't it fun, and we're really sticking it to the Germans. But at the same time, like you said, I think he's off base that the, the movie has no room for, for humanization or, or delving into who these guys are. I mean, right from the get-go, when they throw um, Hills and Ives into the cooler and they kind of have that nice moment about, like, well, what do you do? You play baseball back home. I'm a jockey. and you know, Those are nice moments that, that build, yeah, again, not like the deepest characterization, but, I mean, that scene alone makes it hit so hard when Ives snaps and is dangling yeah. there from the barbed wire after they light him up. Well, and, and oh, God, see, there's so much to talk about. Um, uh, y- y- Yes, and, and it's funny because I, I, think, I think maybe one of the key lines to this movie and really helping us understand the lightheartedness is one of the lines that um, uh, Richard Attenborough says, and, and the names are going to, uh, where is it? Bartlett, that Bartlett says that it is his duty to harass, confound, and confuse the enemy to the best of my ability. And those, the, the choice of words is interesting, to harass, confound, and confuse. That it's not about surviving, it's about making the life for the Germans harder. And that the way in which they're going about it, and I think it's that line and it's, the, it's uh, all of Von Luger's lines about, you know, this guy had six attempts and 17 attempts. And one guy tried to escape on the truck. And it's like, I, I don't know. I think, I mean, I hear Bosley's issue with it being maybe a little too lighthearted, but it's not like it waits until halfway through the movie to decide what it wants to be. We get it from the get-go. And it's, you know, and I, I guess if he did, my I, total guess is that he just didn't buy it from the beginning. And yeah, I think if you can't, I, if you can't buy into a movie this long early on, it's going to be almost three hours of like, I just don't like this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and he even goes so far, he calls out like how the pacing drug on it. And I, I putting myself in his headspace, I would think approaching it in that mind space, you'd be like, okay, three hour movie, that is plenty of time to go through like the day to day in a prison. Like that is plenty of time to really saturate yourself in, you know, the, the, the fun defiance, but also the the lows as well. And, and I guess he just wasn't seeing that, but I, I mean, when you're looking for it. It's there. I mean, th- take the, the cooler itself. I mean, talk about a hell on earth and, and not that the movie dwells on it, but when those guys are first marched in there and it like really sinks in, like he's got that mitt and that ball and that's it for three weeks. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it I, doesn't get much more somber than that. I, I was surprised they let him have that in there. I thought the same thing. Every time they threw it to him, I'm like, "What are they? Do- what are they doing?" This, I mean, I, it is a punishment still, but I'm like, you know what? He's he still gets to have that. That's not that's not nothing. It's not like I, I, to reference another movie on that list. It's not like Tim Robbins down in the hole in Shawshank. Like he's got sunlight and a baseball and a glove. I mean, yeah, he's. I think he's doing he, okay given the circumstances. Yeah. Um. Okay, so. We were talking about uh, we were talking about the cooler and characters. So uh, I, I'd love to just talk a little bit about Steve McQueen um, in in this movie. Oh, now please. I think he's I think he's great in it. I think he does what he needs to do. Um, but just the uh, so a little bit of the backstory on this. So so uh, apparently Donald Donald Pleasance recalls. Um, they, uh, the crew and cast were shown uh, a rough cut of the footage six weeks in, and apparently uh, McQueen walked out. 
and basically refused to come back to set. He was already disappointed with how inadequate he thought his role was before. Uh, and again, with all the script changes and stuff, he wasn't sure what he was going to be doing. And um, he uh, he was like, okay, I, I want my part to be rewritten. And then um, James Garner tells a story where basically him and Coburn had to like meet up with him and like convince him to come back. McQueen wanted to be more of the hero and um, it took them to, to it, it took those two guys to be like, well, listen, you know, you escape and come back to give the information. That is that is a heroic act. And yeah. um, and so he needed he needed some coercing. I think I think it, it was maybe that on top of the fact that like the motorcycle thing was written in specifically yeah. for him <laughs> to do it. Um I mean, I, I don't, I guess I still, I haven't seen too many Steve McQueen films and I guess I just don't quite understand all the juice that he had to, to, to basically get, get what he wanted. I mean, his part was rewritten to an extent. He did get to show off his motorcycle skills twice because he also played one of the Germans chasing him throughout, which is, which is just fun. Good for you, Steve McQueen. Um, but I don't know. I guess I just am not aware of the McQueenness of the time. So, so I mean, it. I I'm right there with you. So, Steve McQueen is my William Holden. He, he's a guy that like I look at and I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. I I guess I kind of see like where other people find the allure. But he has never done it for me in in any movie, and I and this one included. And it's I I think he's good in the movie, but I think it's solely be, like the editing and and to speak to like how this movie deserved more accolades on editing because i i i I think also just like my not getting it with him it is very rooted in diva stories like that and and you know when you're a superstar and you you know your name on the poster you know guarantees a hit you know that that's got to do something but i mean adam you're a performer if if you were brought in for this this story this property that people were very excited to get made that was epic in scope and you knew you were going to be working with all these great actors and you had like this distinct role wouldn't that be enough for you like why why do you need to be like the guy that does it all you know why can't you be stoked that you do still get to be kind of the renegade guy you get to be the the most bad boy image out out of the whole thing but like can't you be jazz you're working with Richard Attenborough and James Garner and James Coburn and it's you know, you mentioned our episode on Oxbow incident a couple weeks back, and I talked in that that I love Henry Fonda, and I love Henry Fonda especially in that movie because he was an A-list movie star that was never afraid to mess with that machismo image. He was totally fine undercutting his own masculinity and effectiveness if it served the story, and it does an Oxbow incident. And, you know, we we threw some modern stars under the bus that just can't handle... You know, if their character doesn't do it all and isn't just awesome the whole time. And that's how I feel about Steve McQueen is it's like he, he goes in if he can drive something with a motor and he, you know, has the audacity to demand rewrites and, you know, recharacterization. I, it, it just bothers me. And there's there's that great scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where they toy with the idea that, you know, this was almost a role taken by the Leonardo DiCaprio character Rick, and that Rick Dalton. Yeah. And and when I saw that movie in theaters, I was like, I, I've thought about this multiple times. Like if that role could have been somebody else. And it's, it's hard to say cause McQueen is, he's fun in it, but he, he is far from the star of the show for me personally. 
No, I, I think that's that's totally fair. Um, you know, my quick response to that is um so I'm not a I don't I never listened to Mark Marin uh really, but but Ian was a big fan and, and mm-hmm. turned me on. And I and I, I only listen to Mark Marin when I, I recognize who he's he's got on. And and recently he had on Joseph Gordon Levitt. Mm-hmm. And uh they were talking about, you know, um you know, he, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has this new show on on a- Apple TV, and I I haven't seen it. I don't know much about it, but he he basically wrote and directed a few episodes. It was, it's sort of his project, and yeah. But but Joseph Gordon-Levitt talks about being an actor, and he said something that I I actually really agree with. And he says, when you're an actor in a project, you are there. You're there to serve the director, um, and it's not that you can't bring in ideas. It's not that you don't try things. It's that at the end of the day. It's the director's story. It's the director who's putting all of this stuff together, and and it's it it is about collaboration, and that's why like d- directors will tell you that like ninety percent of their job is casting, but it doesn't make the 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 project necessarily about the actors themselves. And there there's something about being collaborative and coming in with ideas. That's what directors want. But what I don't think what I don't think what directors want are for actors to come and be like i'm doing this or i'm not doing it you know yeah. what i mean like that's yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a bridge to, to you know that's a tightrope yeah. to walk and i i guess but, i guess mcqueen had the juice but um but no sure. you don't you don't want to do that you don't want to be that kind of an actor yeah but but like you mentioned you know isn't the character that makes the decision once he is actually out and that's the whole point of this three-hour movie is get out to to for, have a character who makes the decision to Say, okay, I'm going to get the info and I'm going to purposely go back in. That's a way better character to play than just the guy that's awesome and gets out and is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I do think that like, I think, I mean, I think obviously James Garner gets to be more suave. He gets to be more fun and I don't want to say manly, but he gets to his screen presence, I think is felt more in the role. So to me, he's the star of the movie. Yeah, and that's and I'm also biased there because young James Garner is like my classic movie crush. Holy oh, cow, what a beautiful what did man! I, hold on, what did I what did I write? Oh, okay, sorry. I'm gonna. <laughs> I just want to. <laughs> I'm gonna read my note verbatim. So yes, I go. I go. James Garner is studly as fuck. I was like, dude. <laughs> the, and yes. and uh, um, but, and I read. But, I really sorry. Really quick. I I read the um the uh the essay that comes with the criterion by Sheila O'Malley mm-hmm. and she refers to that scene between him and Werner as a seduction yeah. and I'm like yeah. yes that is perfect that's, that's exactly where I was going to go as you said yeah he gets to be suave and manly but like there is that there's the you know the Werner thing is this seduction and and coming back and you know Werner kind of playing like the wounded lover like I lost my papers and and him, oh sure I'll help you but also his friendship with the Donald Pleasance character is some of the most emotionally raw and vulnerable. Like he gets, he gets the full range. He's the cool guy. He's the compassionate guy. He's he's kind of the the skeevy guy. Because you know this poor guard. I mean, I know he I know he's a German and stuff. But like, <laughs> I, I feel for Werner in that that he is really just ill equipped to deal with how suave and studly James Garner is. I. I just that that was what made me so happy is in my memory, you know, it's it's a big ensemble, so everybody kind of gets a couple minutes. So I was like, oh dang, I'm not gonna get as much James Garner as I want. But I, to me, he's like the main character. Yeah, he he's great in it. He he really is fantastic. And you're and you're right. This is a movie where I think you've got your bigger roles, but everybody gets a moment 
to to shine or to, or to be funny or to to do something. Um, and that's I think that's the the showing of a great ensemble movie is when yeah. everybody gets gets a moment to 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 do something. Um, mm-hmm. and then you mentioned the the relationship between um between Henley and Colin, and and you're right. And again, I I do think that this movie and I think what I liked about this movie, one of the many things was like, I know, I know Bosley Crowther probably wanted more humanization of these people, but I think the vague, I don't know. There was something about not knowing these people. Well, it helped reinforce that they don't know each other that well. And so like, you're right. The relationship between Henley and Colin and like the fact that he, that Henley basically becomes his protector knowing that his eyesight's going. And, um, the way that we fill for Ives, who was somebody that we really haven't seen that much in the movie. We just know that he makes the first escape attempt with, with uh, Steve McQueen and that he's, and they keep mentioning he's, you know, he's really close to snapping, you know, he, mm. he needs to get out soon. Yeah. Um, which, so I, 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 okay. So let's, let's pivot a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the 4th of July. Um, yeah. Because I think this is my favorite chunk of the movie. Um, mm. for, for multiple reasons. Um, the first being that this is the part of the movie where I would have ribbed in the hardest. I could not help, but think of him so much. And I want to get the character name, right? So, so bear with me for a second. Cause mm. the, the three Americans, we have McQueen and we have, we have Garner and then we have da 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 da. I did the same thing. I, in my head, it was always an American number three. Yes. Oh, come on. Uh, I, I took James to calling Donald. him Cookie no, after no. a character it's... in Stalag. Oh, this is going to bum me out. Okay. Well, I don't have it here. And if I do, I've... Okay. Anyway. So but the the other guy, the other American. Um, and they're there and they, they're playing. They're, they've got the fife. They're, they're marching through. It's yeah. very lighthearted and fun. And then the... You know, all the British guys are like, "What's going on?" They're like, "Oh, they're celebrating." Though it's the Fourth of July and stuff, and yeah. and um, they're passing out the moonshine. And the third British dude keeps—he's got all these great down with the British, yeah. no taxation yeah. without representation. <laughs> and I was so just good. like, I was it seriously was so—it was so funny. And it's this great—it's this great moment of the movie where people are taking the—you know—they're like, "We should take a break for a moment." You know, we've been working mm-hmm. hard. We're almost there. We'll celebrate. We'll have fun. And then um, the the Germans, Werner, and some of the other people are, they're going through the the, the room and, and, and they talk about like, we can't pay attention or they're going to know that we know that they're in there. So they try to ignore it. Mm-hmm. The coffee spills and it goes down and they discover what's there. And um, Ives can't take it. And Ives does, try, it's like, okay, I need to, this is it. And um, and the way he tries to escape and, and that not just that he gets shot down, but that he gets, yeah, he's stuck in that barbed yeah. wire. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I I felt that, and and I know that we haven't spent a lot of time with these people, but I think what what got me is what I'm watching them all try so hard, and I and I don't need to see, I don't need to hear them talk about the, the grittiness of it because I heard I've heard how many escape attempts they've they've made. Right? I I mm. can surmise, I can make an assumption how long they've been in there, and when. Even just a one line is Ives is close to snapping. He's he's been in here a long time. He he needs to get out. That's about the only line I need for that death to be to to weigh on me. And man, it does. 
Yeah, no, I it's it's an image that is really ingrained. And, and I mean, on top of that, not to skip too far ahead, and you know, to, to Crowther's whole gripe, and and like you said, you know, if you weren't digging the movie, like whatever happens at the two and a half hour mark is like nothing's going to drag you back if you've been hating it for two and a half hours. But when when Pleasance is shot because he can't see and doesn't know to throw up his arms and surrender, and you know the the you know, exchange he has with James Garner before he dies. It says like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I couldn't. And he says, that's okay. Like, thank, thanks for getting me out. Something to that effect. And yes. I'm, I'm butchering the lines, but I, no, I'm no, like, no, he, you know, no, what that you, was it. Yeah. You're, you're going to, you're going to tell me like, there's, there's no humanity there. There's no, you know, despair. And sorry, you're, you know, you're not, you're going to tell me that this movie doesn't encompass uh, a very rounded human experience in, you know, duress in wartime. Yeah. Like those were the two scenes that stuck out to me. It's like, I don't these are these are working as counterpoints to a movie full of moments of levity, but especially like you said that the Fourth of July celebration is such a good party, and I I think the movie is really good, and a, and a lot of you know escape movies are good at this, but making you feel the claustrophobia like you're stuck in there too. So any any sort of celebration usually connects, but like you said, it's not just that it's it's fun and music, but even you know this is. This is a camp that's been established that's mostly full of British officers. We know there's three American guys, and like you said, the, the guts they have to, to run up and down the, the rows, playing the fife, and, and yell it all down with the British, and having them go along with it in, in good fun is such a great moment of bonding that, is, that really makes that gut punch of the tunnel being discovered hit harder and then when you think like okay that's the movie's big dramatic downturn into act two we got to start over with the other tunnels is, is when you see ives slowly marching that fence and you just go like oh no like it's gonna go even further yeah um you mentioned the claustrophobia this would be the time now where i want to mention my off-screen unsung hero uh fernando Carrera as the production designer mm. i i so loved i loved the the tunnels the way it was shot I thought that was so great and I loved um the the uh, again I want to get the name right here because there's God I have so many notes so many notes um the guy who was really there what what is his name God damn uh oh this this is just not good this isn't good this this is bad podcasting as I'm as I'm literally talking through that's why you can cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i might not because i don't i really don't mind making an ass out of myself hey, okay great. well the real guy right the the real guy who was, oh see wallace floody boom i knew mm-hmm. i'd get it um who was on set as kind of an advisor i loved hearing that he would get in there and roll around and be like no i don't remember having this much room and then they would mm-hmm. alter the set and they I, I just thought that was so, again, th- and this is a combo of like watching them dig the tunnel and place the, 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 the track and all of that stuff, but then also just like the, the way that they made it, the actual production design. I, mm-hmm. I thought that was great, and, and they basically cleared out an entire forest in, in this Bavarian town to put up this pretty much lifelike replica. I mean, uh, a, a lot of the, Donald Pleasance was in a POW camp and talked about how close... This yeah. felt like to being there, um, man. That the attention to detail. I mean, uh, not just the. I mean, the barracks, of course, but that the tunnel alone sh- should have gotten this movie a best production design nomination. I'm, I'm, I'm baffled oh. and outraged. 
Oh, for sure. And, and so I'll piggyback because the entire production design team are also my off-screen unsung heroes. And, and nice. basically for the same reasons is, you know, 10 minutes in and looking at the camp, I was like, they really built this. And then listening to the commentaries, it's like, they didn't just build this. They built it in the middle of a German forest. And and then, yeah, you, I heard all those same interviews of real life POWs saying like, yeah, this, this is pretty close. And I think, you know, maybe the movie on the surface like catches some slack or some flack again because like oh that's that looks like a really clean pow camp but to be fair the movie also establishes it's brand new they've built it for these guys it is their playhouse and the movie plays fair by that exact concept um but yeah just thinking about the amount of work to build all of that stuff and, and replant the trees when they were done and yeah, the, the tunnel shots are amazing. Like it is, it is outstanding production design. And I, I am with you that of many Oscar nominations this movie could have got, that's maybe the one I'm the most upset about. Yeah, and talk about talk about a cast coming together, having to put the little the little rubber strips around the barbed wired fence uh, mm-hmm. that McQueen jumps over. Like I gotta tell you, I, I, you know, I, I'm 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 mostly a theater actor, but like. It's been a long time since I've been asked to like help like where I've worked at a small enough theater where it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to need you to come in and help paint the set kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but to hear to hear that, like the cast and crew would basically in their downtime help cover the bar, the actual barbed wire fence. I'm like, that's wow. Yeah. Nice. And that's that was one of the things. And, and I know it, it couldn't have just been Steve McQueen. I'm sure there were other people that were above it. He just kind of takes the most flack. But listening to this commentary and all the actors are coming on it's Garner it's Coburn and they're they're all like yeah it was it was great working with all these guys I was excited to show up to work every day and I was glad to help out again that just keeps burying McQueen deeper in this hole I've dug because because also for what you're talking about and maybe I'm mishearing this because I didn't rewind the commentary I don't even think he's the one that makes the jump like I know he does a lot of the stunt writing but I don't think he's even the one that does like the big famous jump that he's famous for doing yeah I'm pretty sure it's another stunt guy yes that was his friend Bud Eakins um who who he who back in in California that was like he 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 rode with with him and and asked him to be a stunt double and um yeah, it's it's not it's not even McQueen doing the the big jump. And actually, uh, yeah. yeah, there was a uh, in that one of the documentaries. They actually show the editing of when it's McQueen. They 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 tell you mm, when it's McQueen yeah. and when it's Eakins. Um, not to throw too much shade, because I mean it's it's no easy task stunt ride. Like the stuff that he did actually do. I mean, power to him. I I oh, sure can do it. it. It just again, I can't resist being like Steve McQueen. I don't get it. No, that's that totally fair. Because I, I I don't either. But I, I've seen maybe. Th- Three that I know of off the top of my head, and other than that, I, I'm I'm my my McQueen well does not run deep. So, yeah. Um, one person that we haven't talked about yet, and I'm I'm of of uh, you know different minds. Um, Elmer Bernstein. We have not talked about the score to this yeah. movie yet. Yeah. Um, I I can get behind you because I, th- I mean the the main the theme. I mean, how iconic does it get um i i'm far from a musicologist i felt you know i i'd heard a lot of things about people saying like oh it's one of the the best scores and i'm kind of like "Mm, there's a lot of motifs that get repeated a bunch so yeah like i mean i i think it's a good score i i didn't find much of it to be like 
oh, this is this is a profoundly effective. Uh, this but this belongs on the list of great film scores. I think it's good. I think it fits into the movie. This, you know, in terms of, you know, awards or nominations it didn't get, I'm fine that they passed this one over. I think there's better Elmer Bernstein scores. Sure. Uh, so so two so two things. Uh, one, this is this. And I don't I, I'm not I promise you I'm not going to shit on John Williams, but this falls into a very not. it's maybe one of the most <laughs> no, I, I, it falls into a very it's a very recognizable score. Sure. Um, like the way that John's William, John Williams stuff is, you know, it's like you hear it and you go, yeah, there it is. Gotcha. I'm yeah, on board. Yeah. I know what it is. I can see it in my head. Um, I didn't do all of this, but I just want to do a like here are here are some of the movies that Elmer Bernstein did scores for. So his only win came for Thoroughly Modern Millie, which is kind of a weird win because that's a, yeah. it's a musical that was pre-existing. So yeah. I don't. Um, so that's that. But here, so here are some of the other ones he did. He worked with. Um, uh, John Sturgis before on the Magnificent Seven, which also has a pretty, uh, I feel like, recognizable uh, score to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did Sweet Small of Success, To Kill a Mockingbird, HUD, True Grit. But like, he, listen, <laughs> this is some of the. He did Airplane. He did An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Ghostbusters, and then goes back to some series. He does My Left Foot. He does The Grifters. He does Cape Fear. Some of his later movies, though, I had I just did these two specifically. He did Bulletproof, the Adam Sandler Damon Wayans movie, <laughs> and he did the score for Wild Wild West. Th- these are those are facts. Yeah. I just what I just said are facts. You you gotta have someone. You gotta respect for somebody with as varied a discography <laughs> totally. as that. I, I um, mean, r- real quick to shout some praises. I, I kind of looked over the list. and I was like, okay, if Great Escape isn't like one of my favorite Elmer Bernstein's, and this is kind of where I'm going to lose all credibility. The uh-oh. airplane score is great. And I know that's a weird movie to call it as like maybe one of my favorites, but that is a score that wholly supplements that movie. And, and I, I hope to talk about that movie on cinema someday. I think that movie is a fantastic comedy because it – plot wise plays so much like a straight lace like crisis in the air movie it's just that there's yeah. all this crazy shit happening and i think the score like totally sells that so i i just want to give love for his score for airplane i think it's great oh for sure and and it might not surprise you to know that of of the of the the a thousand a one by one crew that i was the zucker zucker and abrams fan it, it was not ian. <laughs> ian did we we did the naked gun and ian did not have a whole hell of a lot to say about that movie oh um, that was a so. shame so it is what it is um okay so um we've you know we've kind of been all over the place and we've we've talked about a, a lot of stuff um I'm wondering though, is there, is there, do you have a favorite scene or a favorite shot or a favorite, like, like it's so big and it's so grand, but I'm wondering like, you know, if you were going to sell somebody on this movie, what is the, what's the moment that you would sell them with? Oh, I, I mean, the like I said, one of the more iconic shots that sticks out to me are the really macabre ones. It's Ives dangling from the barbed wire or it's the, you know, the Germans on the, the hill as they've gun down all these prisoners they captured at the end with Richard Attenborough. I mean, I think that's a profound, I don't know if I'd pick those to sell somebody. <laughs> like, sure. sure it's sure, great sure. three hour movie. Like here are the like two most depressing images from it. Um, it's hard to narrow down any time they are like moving along in the tunnel. That to me is always like one of the moments that sticks out is like, this is how you get somebody in on it. And again, for what you're saying, the, the meticulous nature of how they've built all that out and they're using, you know, 
cut up coffee cans as shovels and stuff. That's my favorite section of the movie is when like the tunnel is first getting built and you're seeing how they manufacture the the bellows and how they're getting like the lighting system in. Um which I know just also doesn't answer your question. So No, no, that's that's all the, good. I you, you mentioned something that I would love to to uh to just uh take a bit further. Um so my my unsung hero on screen um is Charles Bronson for for a, mm. a couple of reasons. One I'm so used to one image of Charles Bronson that this was a nice, it was nice to see him, especially when that turn comes of like, I can't yeah. be down here. Yeah. Um, which, and again, I, lo- I just love the real life that, that, that Charles Bronson, the real person worked at a coal mine was claustrophobic mm-hmm. and they kind of, he could bring his real life sort of um, phobia in, into the character, which was great. Yeah. Um, my other two thoughts quickly about Charles Bronson. One I love Charles Bronson was the kind of ripped quote unquote that like, yeah, he earned because he like, I, he just seems like a be built stuff or he did stuff like, like I'm an actor and I only work out because I'm an actor. I hate working out. It's one of the, the banes of my existence that I feel like I have to do it because of the profession that I'm in. Uh-huh. And like, you look at like the MCU and like a lot of actors, like they're ripped because of the profession. Right. Charles Bronson looks like he could bend steel because he does it every day. Um, For and so like, yeah, exactly. So I just, I just believe him in the movie in general, the other tidbit. And I thought this was, um, I, I'm just going to read this, this thing from IMDb. I think it's true during production. Charles Bronson met and fell in love with David McCallum's wife, Jill Ireland and jokingly told McCallum he was going to steal her away. And then four years later he did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I buy it. Like that seems like he could totally do it. I, can I tell you my, my no, favorite? Please. I don't, I, I think this is on the Simpsons, but it might be on family guy. There's a, a funny like tangent where uh Charles Bronson I think is uh sheriff is the sheriff on um oh god he, it's the Andy Griffith character um okay. the... yeah 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 and and it's but it's Charles Bronson instead and <laughs> they come and it goes where's where's this guy who was in who was in his cell and it's Char- Charles Bronson goes I shot him and the guy's like what what, what? he goes now I'm down da- now I'm going down to Emmett's fix it to fix Emmett and then he leaves and it's like yep yeah, there you go there's Charles Bronson right there um I just I don't know I I, I felt like I had to get that out no I I know that joke and I actually like that too my mine is the the Simpsons death wish yes. 19 or whatever where he's just in the hospital and I wish I was dead To piggyback on this, I don't think Charles Bronson gets enough credit for how well he can sell a quip. Um, He he has a lot of exchanges in Once Upon a Time in the West. I just swoon over. But in the beginning of the movie when he and James Coburn are trying to break out by sneaking the jackets on and getting out with the Russian laborers. And Coburn's like, you know any Russian? He's like, I know this one phrase. I will give it to me. And he tells him, what does that mean? I love you. I love you. What am I supposed to do with that? I wasn't going to use it. (laughs) It's such a good moment. Oh, it was great. It was great. And, and, and side note as, as, uh, not that I'm not a Western fan, but I'm definitely under, underseen in, in like a a lot, some of the classics, but like, if I was building my, if I was building my Rushmore though, once upon a time in the West is is making my Rushmore. That movie is great. It's fantastic. I haven't seen it in so long, but it's, I remember just, 
hate it. Love you. It's, um, speaking of great Henry Fonda performances, holy there, yeah. shit. Exactly. Yeah, he is great in it. Um, okay, so let's see. I'm going through notes. I highlighted some stuff. I want to make sure that I don't leave any stone unturned. Um, yeah, I mean, talked about all the ways in which they cover up going through the pipe. They Oh, well, let's talk, you know, so I, I think I have one. I think I have a nitpick with the movie. Um, and so obviously they've dug through the tunnel. It's the night they're going to escape. And uh, Steve McQueen pops up at the top. And we realize they're 20 feet short of the force, which is great. I think that it creates yeah. a really interesting yeah. um, obstacle they got to overcome. They do it with the rope. Great. It's going to take longer, but, you know, they'll do what they do. And then the airway thing goes off. It's like, oh, sh- that's, oh, God, that sucks. You know, they got to, now they got to work through that. Yeah. But then that's also great. Yeah. Well, yeah. They can get people through <laughs> further. Exactly. Yeah. But then, so I, I believe it's Cavendish who gets caught and he, like, lays on the ground. I'm so confused. How do they not see him right away? So so here, here's kind of how I thought about this, putting myself, because I had the same thought and then I talked myself out of it. Okay. <laughs> for, for the purposes of movies, I mean, you've, you probably have experience with this as a performer. Like, if you're performing in something that's supposed to be night, there are still a boatload of lights that you've got to have just to have something show up on film. So I, I think that that transfers over, that in order to be able to actually see, you know, what's going on, especially in 1963, like, it's got to be fairly well lit. So at least, like, the mental gymnastics I've done, in, in the actual reality of that world, it's way darker. It just looks that light because we need that much light to be able to see what's actually on the film. Sure, um, sure. And, and then I was also thinking, I maybe I'm misremembering it, but the lights kind of come on as the, the guard has kind of already walked out there to investigate noise. So he's, he's maybe kind of already at that point when the lights go on so that he's only looking forward. He's not looking down. Because I, I like gasped and went like, oh, crap, when that shot showed that he's just right there in the ground next to him and he's just yeah. lying perfectly. So I, I actually really liked it. Um, but, but there's so but then I remember thinking so we've gotten to this point and there's still like 35 40 minutes of movie left yeah. and you know I wonder I, I wonder how much of this part of the movie and we don't have to go through beat by beat but like so then then everybody kind of escapes and because of the the way it, it didn't get handled right everybody kind of ends up at the one train station and again I was blown away by like yeah that's awesome. And now they've got to like avoid each other, but like also not avoid mm-hmm. each other. Like how do you, how do you not ignore, but ignore somebody at the same time? And then this is where I think the editing is just brilliant because we're with a group of people long enough before we go to somebody else. You know, we've got Coburn on the bike, McQueen on the motorcycle and then Pleasance and Garner jump from the train, and then um, the one blonde guy, Ashley Pitt, and then Attenborough and his right-hand dude are on the train st- still when they get off, and then uh, Ashley Pitt sacrifices himself so they can get away. Mm-hmm. And then we've even got uh, Cavendish, who I think he does this eventually. He, he he runs out into the woods, and then he gets picked up by it. He, he hitches his well, way. Um, and s- I real just, quick... To interject, yeah. speaking of amazing like setups and payoffs, because I think it's Cavendish who runs like the um, the faux interrogations as they're getting the uniforms, you know, testing <gasps> out their German, and no, he has oh, the line of saying um, like "Good luck," and he says, "Oh, thank you," and in English, and he says like "That's that's like trick number one. They're going to use to trip you up." And then maybe I'm mixing up characters, but I feel I thought that that was him that he made that same mistake. He 
you know, admonish that guy never to make, and that's what totally screwed him in Attenborough. I'll be real. The the names are beyond me at this point, but maybe but it yes. wasn't the same guy. No, but no I, you totally could be right. I'm I I I'm just I'm looking at the name I wrote. It, but the, it, there's again, there's a lot going on at this point in the movie. But right. yes, that was oh man, when he said thanks. Yeah, I I, I and then think just instantly. I, my, my my youngest daughter has gotten like when she asked me a question and I don't give her the answer she wants. She's gotten used to like hitting herself in the forehead like, oh, dad. <laughs> and so when he when he said good luck, I literally was like, oh, dude, you just. And I felt like, but that's but then again, that's where I was at that point in the movie. Like I was absolutely invested, and in, and in, because you you watch enough movies and like you put together you put this stuff together like I'm watching this going. There's no way all of these people are going to make it to where they need to go. And so, but it's also tough because I'm like, okay, I don't know who's going to make it. Like, I, I don't know right. who's going to make it to safety. Um, and yet and we, we, we talked about um, uh, Coburn and uh, Pleasance getting the plane. But yeah, I think I, and I think the moment where I thought a lot of life is beautiful is where the truck pulls off and they get, you're going to give you five minutes to stretch your legs and they're talking. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it's Attenborough who's like, you know, I know we got caught, but I got to say, I've never been happier. And then they turn and they got mm-hmm. the big old 50 cal there. And just like, it's, and again, we don't need to, it doesn't need to be gruesome. We don't need to see it. it. The shot goes far away and we just hear the sounds and it's like, yep, that's. yeah. And then, oh God, I think maybe, I think the single best acting moment in the movie actually comes from um i want to get his name right uh james donald the senior british officer when he asks how many were wounded and the guy mm-hmm. and van luger only gives just says, repeats the same thing back to him and it dawns on him that that none are wounded yeah yeah his reaction is heartbreaking and again I, I don't know much about James Donald in the movie i know he has a cane and that he can't be the one to do the tunnel mission but his it, you can see how much that information has destroyed him yeah. and that the fact that he'll have to go back out and tell his men that and it's just you know in a movie that is so lighthearted and so honestly fun to watch a very fun movie an easy movie to watch there are some some great great hard moments to watch moments that really bring it back down to earth and it, you know it it's I, I know I know his review was back in 1963, but like, I just I just really in a in a non joking way just so solidly disagree with with the assessment of maybe maybe we don't know their backstories maybe we don't get that that um, Tom Hanks saving Private Ryan monologue about oh or or Matt Damon like maybe we don't yeah. get a character who explains their life. But in a movie like this, I didn't need it, and and I think it would have cheapened the movie actually. This movie with a moment like that. I mean, so you know, you just talked about like the best moment of performance. And it kind of made me realize that I didn't have like a radar out for great acting. Because I think you, know, you asked me what the thing I first thought of with the movie was epicness. And it also was kind of like an ensemble cast and star power. And I'm, I'm kind of there. I'm not here for profound, the Oscar winning performances. You know, I'm here to watch a bunch of movie stars like work together. And, and so, you know they could pull like some really hammy stuff. And I don't think really anybody overplays, you know, who their character is supposed to be. But I, again, like I'm, I'm with you. I think it's kind of a, a null argument that I can see 
you know, it being that fresh, I kind of see where some of his stuff is coming from. And, you know, the good news is time's been kind and he's about the only negative review that's still out there readily available. Yeah. I And it's funny. You talk about like, yeah, I mean, there's a moment that happens in the movie that I'm going to uh, it's it's not in another movie. It could be like, oh, come on. But there's the moment where we see we see McQueen taking the slats out of the beds and then the guy jumps on the top yeah. bunk and goes through all three. And like that, that's 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 a that's a three stooges bit. Right. That's a right. something that shouldn't be in this movie. And and yet it works. It's it wasn't, you know, because we we know why it doesn't work if if McQueen's trying to be funny. Right. 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 If like I'm it's taking the, the slats out for them to fall through the bed. But like it, it, it works in its earnestness. And I think that's why all of the humor I think works is because I don't think anybody is trying to be funny. It's just sort of, it just kind of happens to be funny. And that's why I think, I think the comedy works so well in this. Well, even within world in a scenario, this claustrophobic and disheartening, a little levity goes a long way. I mean, if you're in a depressing situation, you don't want to just be gloomy all the time. I mean, very easily to fall in that trap, but that's kind of, you know, goes along with this recurring theme of defiance. And, you know, that these kind of summed up with McQueen's repeated trips to the cooler is like, well, they're not like, they're not going to get you down. Like we got each other, like we'll get each other through this. I, yeah. I think that's one of the more endearing messages that keeps the movie afloat. Um, I, I mean, going with this, if I could, I'll, I'll go back to my unsung hero who is the commandant. Uh, yeah. Her, I'm, 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 Mesmer. Hans Mesmer, thank you. Um, and, you know, that review I read kind of summed a lot of it up. But early on watching the movie, I had kind of a nitpick brewing that I was thinking, like, we are so focused on all the escape methods. It's all about the tunnel. It's all about the methodology of it. And we are not getting the flip side. And for a little while, I was feeling kind of cheated by that, that if the movie had set up that this is the cream of the crop, these are all the best escape artists in the allied forces, you know, why are, why are we not showing the other side of the board, which is the, the most fierce or the most tyrannical guards, you know, why is this still kind of playing Hogan's heroes esque? And so I was kind of thinking about who, who do I want to give unsung heroes to? And I remembered that opening scene between, you know, the two leads between Mesmer and um, I've already forgotten his name. You just mentioned him who plays the chief commanding officer, but yeah, yeah. He, ha- he has that. Ramsey is his name in the movie. Yeah, it's a Ramsey. So, he, you know, Mesmer has that speech where he, he lays out the rules like, you guys are the, all the rotten eggs. We got you in one basket. But he steers away from being the stereotypical villain in this story that we have seen over and over again. The, the very conniving, put upon German commander who has kind of been banished here and wants to prove himself and he's going to get these guys. But that's not the direction they take in the writing of this character. This character very openly says, you, you know, you look at all these escape attempts and, you know, we have had to put this together so that we can keep a tighter lid on you guys. Can't we just chill? Can't, you know, we are far from the front lines. Can we not both of us just sit here and ride out the war together? And I love, uh, again, not, not like the deepest characterization not like a ton of backstory but that idea that it's no longer about the guy that you know wants to impress high command it you know the idea that the guy is very uncomfortable doing the third reich salute and saying how hitler when the ss show up and who has an issue with the ss and who is really here because he's like guys 
please, like, it's cushy. We're going to let you play volleyball. Like, we'll, we'll feed you good. You'll have a place to say, like, what are you in such a rush to get back to all of that death and destruction for? Like, can't we just ride this out? I thought was such a genius move for this movie to make. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I yeah, and definitely noticed the 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 reticence of of doing the the Hitler salute. I thought that was that was a great touch too. Um there's one other line that I definitely would have mentioned um because I get, it's another line I would have just flipped Ian shit about. Um and it's early on, it's between it's between Colin and and um and uh oh god, I keep forgetting Coburn's name. Um uh not Coburn, uh, Garner. Uh Henley, yeah. Henley, Henley and Colin. And um they're talking about about have making some tea and stuff, and it just this line about tea tea without milk is so uncivilized, and I would have been like, so Ian, talk to me about this. Talk to me about is it is it an uncivilized act to have tea without milk? And I, I just I Ian, I I love you, and I I so would have just flipped you some some British shit there um, about that line. Um, so I I mean again, we could talk beat by beat, but I I, I really liked what we hit. I'm wondering, is there? It like you know, if I said I'm gonna stop recording now, what's what is like the one, the one last thing you'd want to say about this movie? Um, I guess if you're gonna hit stop now, I I would address <laughs> Ian because you know the the reason I volunteer. I know you're doing this great series of all these movies he loves, and and the reason I jumped on, wanting to do this one, um, was like you said that he he had called this one of the ten best movies and. I I would say, you know, turning to Ian, I would say I respect this as one of your favorite tens. I, I don't know that this subjectively is like, oh, you know, that is definitely a top ten. But I, in my memory, had undersold this movie a lot for kind of being a, a very bloated, drawn-out escape movie. Um, and I, I guess I would just say, Ian, you were right. Like, this was great. I, I mean, even back to the the last act that you were praising so highly there there was a second i hit despair here watching it this week where they were out and i looked at the timestamp and it was two hours and i was like another hour what are we doing movie like are we really gonna drag us out but then just thinking about again a great move this makes that maybe separates this from other escape movies for the sake of the metaphor and you know the the message that any sort of prison movie gets across we're conditioned that once you're out of the walls you're out you're good you broke through the barriers you're good and great escape establishes like no there's there's walls hundreds of miles in any direction and and so to to at least play that game too to say like that's half the equation right there is to get out of the barbed wire like you're talking about going out into a culture who's thankfully for them whose language they speak i was stressing out thinking about like i if i just was in the middle of any ran you know if i'm in the middle of iran and i've got to like make my way i'm screwed i'm so screwed because even if i even if i knew some of the language like under pressure and to look like you belong to hit the customs and stuff like I mean to raise that level of tension outside of what we are conditioned to respond to in a typical escape movie I thought was great and and like you I I went with it for the rest of it I went with it for the rest of the hour and then I was like oh that was really great so sorry long-winded but my my final stamp would be to say Ian you were right I am grateful you convinced me to blind buy uh this Criterion Blu-ray because now it is a treasured blu-ray in my collection yeah ditto a lot of what you said i i think that um uh 
you know, it's not like hearing that he thinks it's one of the 10 best films of all time. It's one of those things where like, now that I've seen it, I would go, it's, it's not, it's not mine, but like to see, to hear that, I'd be like, cool. Like, it's not like, yeah. it's not like somebody saying like, oh, you know, <laughs> Step Brothers is one of the 10 best movies ever made, <laughs> yeah. right? You don't hear that and go, dude, yeah, that's fun, but you're, you're just, that you're just not right. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a, I think a great, I think it's a great choice to have in there. Um, and the, I think the, the last thing I want to say is just, it's just in comparison to the last movie that the three of us all talked about at the same time, which was, which was Bad Day at Black Rock. And you know, I, I kept coming back to, I go, is, is Bad Day at Black Rock a more important film? Probably. I think it, it's a more serious film and it has more to say thematically. But given the choice, which one am I turning on? It's The Great Escape. And I, I just because I, 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 it's, it's, it's the dual nature now of, of Ian's affection for it and just how mm. much fun I had watching it. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I think it's, again, I always love doing this, especially with these series. Cause I feel like I already, I know the answers like well in advance, but we're going to get to silly question time now. So yeah. Mike, do you think that the great escape should be in the book? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I do too. And I think, you know, I, I've, I've definitely pleaded for more modern comedies to be in the book and where this is not necessarily modern and it is definitely not specifically a comedy. The, the fun nature of this movie is, is great. And I, I had such a blast watching it. It's not too serious, but then when it wants to bring the hammer down, it does. And yeah, and you can think, you know, if you want to take broad scope, PhD kind of level, yeah, it's about perseverance and sacrificing for the greater good and all that. Yeah, it's all there. It's absolutely there. But at the end of the day, it's a great, it's a great cast made really well and, and sort and based on this true story premise. And I think it ticks so many boxes. And I, yeah, I think this is a great movie. I think uh, I think it should be uh, definitely should be in the book, and and I was I was kind of nervous because there are you know of the seven movies that we're doing this is this is one of four that I hadn't seen, and so I'm always like uh, I mean I don't want to fake it I would never I w- I wouldn't fake it with Ian and I don't want to yeah. fake it now but yeah. th- all 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 seriousness this movie is is great and uh, I'm glad I got to watch it and I'm glad I got to talk about it with you Mike so um, thank you for coming on the show one more time. What's your show? Where they can where can they find you? The show is Cinemust, and you can find it anywhere you're listening to podcasts and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's where we run those polls where listeners decide if the movie we're talking about that week makes that list of essential cinema. So give us a follow. We'd love to have your guys' votes and your thoughts on the movies. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, and definitely check it out. Uh, Ian and I have been on it. Um, I definitely have dug some of the more recent ones, Oxbow and Willy Wonka. Um, there's even an old one on Mother that I found fascinating because I hate that movie. Uh, yeah. but it was so great. It was great to listen to a conversation about it. Early show. Yeah, that was one I wasn't sold on, but my co-host was very <laughs> wild. That was, that was a fun one. Um, and, and, and yeah, just like, just like Mike, you can find a thousand one by one, all the podcast places, all the social media places, not Instagram, uh, just because I don't, we never did. And I don't do that. Um, uh, and, um, and you can, uh, you can email us at a thousand one by one at gmail.com if you have questions or comments or whatever. Um, and then stay tuned next week as we jump a few years into the future, but go way out there. We're going, this, this would be the third, uh, Kubrick movie we've done. We're going to one of the most talked about and, uh, 
ambiguous movies. We're talking about 2001, A Space Odyssey. It'll be something. Uh, another previous guest on the show is coming to talk about that. Uh, but until then, I am Adam, and we will see you next week.